Hey, good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. As we're making our way in from the foyer, we're going to get rolling here. I want us to be reminded this morning of God's faithfulness through our call to worship. 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 13 says this, A saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And that's really good news for us, church, that we serve a faithful God, that he's a promise keeper. He's made a covenant with us that he will not break. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. So let's stand together this morning. Let's sing praises to celebrate that. God of Abraham. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant, faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven you do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast and let my Age to age, though the earth. 
celebrate with faithfulness, church. Clap our hands and then maybe seated. Good morning, fellowship. How about another rainy morning for this this summer? Is it unbelievable? I think it's El Nino, but I think it's El Bueno. Yeah, El Bueno. Hey, uh, welcome. My name is Scott Davis. I serve as a community shepherd here at Fellowship, and this is an exciting time of year for me and others as we begin to get into men's Bible studies and community groups. So if you've just been coming here and not been connected to community group, you're only getting half. So this is like the time of everybody gets signed up and gets going, and if you want to get, if you want to talk about Garland's sermon and dissect it, Later today in a community group, that's what the community groups meet in homes, usually 12, 14 people get to know each other, support each other, love each other, study the Bible. It, it's an unbelievable way to live. But if you haven't done that yet, a good way to start is to get in Discover. So Discover is like the starting point for fellowship community groups. It's two weeks here in, in a large group and then six weeks in a small group together that a lot of times transitions into a community group. So all right, wives, this is where, if you're not in a community group, do this to your husband. It's time to plug in, right? You can scan this QR code. You can come back to the booth and talk to us if you're like, what is a community group? Do I have to bring food? That's a good time. Good questions. Come back to the community booth after a service, and we can talk about that. The other thing that's starting is men's ministry. So we have a men's ministry that we run these six-week cycles, and it's in FSM room. This year we're doing, or this season, we're doing Nehemiah. So we have different speakers every week, kind of the fellowship model, right? If you don't like this week, come back next week. So this, this, week, this year we're doing Nehemiah. It'll be a speaker and then a small group discussion. So sign up there. We're trying to get an idea of books. It's from 6.30 to 7.30. You'll be on time for work. So sign up for that. Ben, you want to come on up? Meet my fan, friend Ben Sheffield with Downline. <laughs> hey, church. <laughs> that was a decent intro there. Yeah, that's, right? I'll yeah. take that. Yeah. Okay, so tell us, what is the purpose of Downline? Yeah, so uh, Downline is a nine-month equipping institute that, uh, in which we cast and give a clear vision and strategy for disciple-making. So the way that we do that, we'll walk through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and we'll kind of understand the truth of God's Word, and then we'll kind of take that and talk about what that looks like to invest it to somebody else in the context of a real relationship. We've got six different locations uh, across the region, and we've had over 2,000 folks go through our program, uh, and all of them, the aim is the same in addressing the same two questions. What did Jesus intend when he gave the Great Commission? When we're called to make disciples, what does that actually mean? And then secondly, how do we do it? What does, that, what does that look like in our homes with our kids when we're seeking to train them up in the faith? What does it look like in the community when we're interacting with folks that don't know Jesus and we're seeking to engage them with the gospel? Or maybe it's taking a, a younger believer and seeking to, to give them a, a deeper, richer understanding of God's word uh, and then giving them a paradigm for disciple making that they might then take it and teach someone else. And so 
that's, that's kind of what we do. Uh, it is geared for folks who want to get serious about making disciples and having a, a better grasp on their Bible. Um, we'll take folks uh, from post-college, from 70s, 80s, retirees. Uh, everybody gets to go through it. And um, most everybody going through it uh, has a full-time commitment, whether it's, it's in the uh, in the marketplace or in the home. So this isn't like a, hey, we need you to put your life on hold for nine months and do this thing. But it's something that we've kind of geared to be, to kind of wrap into the normal rhythm of life. Um, and so that's kind of high level, 30,000 foot view what Downline is. So when is Downline? Yeah, so, so Downline will start, we actually start up here in a few weeks. Uh, August 28th is our start date. Uh, there's still some spots to apply. So um, if you're interested at all, we'd love for you to hop in uh, with us this year. So how do I apply for Downline? Yeah, so the easiest way is our website, downlinenwa.com. There's like 100 apply buttons on that website, so any of them is going to take you to the same spot. Uh, and then if you have any questions, we'll be in the back. Yep. Ben will be in the connections booth in between services. We've got questions, so go back and see him. Great. Thanks, Scott. Brian, you have one more? Yeah, one more for us. So also uh, August 28th. Uh, Spectra is our creative ministry here at Fellowship, and we're going to have another creative collective. So we've had a couple of these over the past year, and they've been really fun and really, really inspiring. And so if you are creative in any way, are just interested in worshiping through the arts, this is for you. So we'd love you to come be a part of it. It's August 28th at 630. We're going to meet in FSM, the student center there. And our artists that have been working on uh, artwork for our upcoming uh, series in Philippians that will start here in September um, have created some beautiful pieces. And so I've gotten the privilege to check some of them out already. Um, and they're going to share a bit about their artwork. They're going to share um, their worship experience in creating it. And so you can just come be a part of that and, and check it out. We want to keep building up our community of creators here. Um, church, every week we do this together. We confess our sins. We uh, we remind ourselves of our assurance of pardon together. So let's stand together and let's engage in this act of worship, this corporate confession. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a Savior. And that's true this week and it's true every single week make this confession together but what's also true is that we have a savior who came in and died for our sins so that we may become the righteousness of God through him and so church believe the good news Jesus died for us Jesus rose for us Jesus intercedes for us in him we are a new creation in him we have forgiveness of sin in him we have a savior to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the end of our story, church. That Christ has risen. He has given us salvation. Our story is finished. And we're going we're gonna to introduce a new song to you right now. Um, it's by a band, Shane and Shane. And I love it. I've been listening to it for the last few months. Um, and I showed it to Garland, and, and he was like, let's do it this week. And so we're going to introduce it this week. We're going to sing the chorus uh, a couple of courses, and then we're going to do the full song later. Um, but it's about that. It's that our story is written. No matter what trials or anything that we're going through, we can have rest because we know the story is finished. And so let me introduce it to you. If you learn it, sing along with us here. It goes, 
I'm fighting a battle You've already won No matter what comes my way I will overcome Don't know what you'll do But I know what you've done I'm fighting a battle You've already won That's good news. Let's sing it again, church. I'm fighting a battle You've already won No matter what comes my way I will overcome Don't know what you're doing But I know what
standing this morning. We're going to finish the book of 1 Peter together. This is our reading. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. One of our shepherding elders, Doug, is gonna come up and he's gonna lead us to a time of prayer. Good morning, everyone. Um, Exciting time. School is starting. School has already started for some. I cannot see out here. It's so bright. But if you are a teacher, if you are a teacher, if you homeschool, if you teach in kindergarten all the way through college, would you please stand for me right now? Please stand. It's important to me. Please stand. I want you to know something. I want you to know something. And please look at me like you tell your kids. All eyes on me, right? You are valued, okay? You are valued. We appreciate what you do. In these times, I'm sure you are stressed. You're excited about tomorrow. uh, Or if you've already started, (laughs) you've already seen the tsunami that might be headed your way. But I want you to know that you're valued. And I love the scripture that you're going to go through right now, Garland. And I actually had more scripture tied to not being anxious. I think of you guys, like I think of our ministry here, you are a sponge. Okay. I hope the summer you were able to be filled up, but you get squeezed out. Constantly you're being squeezed out throughout the year. And you know what? It makes a difference. It makes a difference in our kids' lives. And we thank you for that. You are valued. And we as a church are going to commit to be praying for you all throughout the year. Thank you for making a difference in our kids' lives. Let me read this scripture to you. Just ponder upon this, okay? A lot of times the scripture we start with, do not be anxious. But let me start with what it says before that. The Lord is near. That's a promise from our Lord Jesus. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God, okay? And the peace of God, which passes our understanding, is going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as you go throughout the semester, you go out throughout the year, we're going to be praying for you. You be praying every single situation. God will be with you. So I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for our kids from kindergarten through college age, that God makes a difference in their lives today. Pray with me, okay?
Father God, we just come before you. You are the sovereign God. You're the sovereign God that's been there since the beginning of time. You are in control. We might look at a world around us that looks like it's falling apart and the pressures that are there, but we know that you are the rock. You are the, you are the one that we can cling to. We can cling to your promises. You are true. And so, Father God, I pray for these uh, teachers right now, whether they're homeschooling, no matter what school they're in, uh, what grade they teach. Father God, I pray even today, you would calm their hearts, you would calm their minds, that you would whisper to them, I am with you. I pray that you give them wisdom and discernment and how they lead our kids this next year. Father God, I pray that you would uh, fill them with your love and it would be an outpouring to, to the kids and that you would make a difference in their lives so that they can be a blessing to the kids as well. And so Father God, I thank you for each one of these uh, teachers. I pray that you be with them. And Father God, I pray that you be with the parents. It's also a time of anxiousness, excitement, fear with the parents. Father God, calm their hearts. Give them wisdom and discernment. And Father God, as your body, may we encourage each other as you want us to and love each other as you want us to. And so Father God, I thank you for each one of these. I thank you for your precious children that you love so much from kindergarten all the way through upper uh, education. And so Father God, thank you for them. I pray that you create a revival in their heart to love you more, to follow you more, to study your word more, to raise their gaze from their circumstances to you, the Holy One that deserves all glory. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I had this Doug teach the passage up here. You want to come up here? Man. My youngest goes to kindergarten tomorrow. <laughs> I'm all excitement, all right? We're free. Um, some of y'all are like, you don't even know what's coming. Teenagers are coming for me soon. Um, like, like Doug said, there's a, lot, there's a lot of excitement in town right now. The traffic uh, is starting to get bad again. Um, and so this time of the year, I'm always really excited because the college students are coming back and school starting and just... Football season's coming, like it's all there. And so, yeah, I know, I'm with you, I'm with you. So um, with that, there's also, we got something that we're really excited about that's actually gonna happen in the next two weeks uh, over on the east side. And so we're gonna have two gatherings uh, the next two Sundays uh, on the east side of town, and here's why we're doing it. We want, to, we want to invite the people that live on the east side of town just to go gather together, look around their neighborhoods, look around their schools, look around at the baristas and, 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 and waitresses and waiters, everyone around us go, Lord, how could you create a revival in our city in our day that changes lives? It's that simple. That's what we want to do. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to aim for that. Um, next week, Burton and Clark are going to be leading uh, over there. And so it's going to be really exciting. And then I'll be over there on the 27th. And um, I can't wait just to get to sit in that room and, and pray for what God might be doing in our city. And what's really exciting is uh, tonight, uh, our small group leaders that are on the east side, they're gonna be gathering actually at the Hill School uh, to do their leader training and talk through what it looks like to launch small groups over there. On the 27th on Sunday morning, we're gonna have our west side leaders in the student ministry room. And here's what's also exciting. On the 27th at night, we're gonna gather all of our Farmington and Southwest kind of Fayetteville region people together uh, for some training and some prayer there. Um, we just wanna see, God, what are you doing? How are you creating revival in our city? 
this is awesome. And we want to see what God might be able to do in and through it. Are you with me? That's pretty cool, okay? So uh, you can see the times right there. Um, that might guide, if you're an east sider, uh, which service you go to. Uh, if not, we'll see you back here next week, all the West Siders. And uh, if you're new with us, uh, welcome. That You're like, what's going on around here? Doug's up here excited. Um, we've got a new map of things that are going on. Just we're w- welcome. If you're new, uh, welcome. We're actually going to be finishing up our First Peter series this morning. My name's Garland. I'm one of the pastors here. It's an honor to get to uh, just be in here and get to finish up our series. I've loved this series as we've walked through this ancient letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to uh, Jesus followers in what is now what we now call the country of Turkey. It used to be a part of the Roman Empire. And just to get us thinking this morning, um, it happens a lot in movies um, where when, when the movie begins, you're not quite certain what the, what the enemy is. Like as the movie kind of begins to unfold, what happens is oftentimes the main characters experience like a major switch in their understanding of what they're after. Like a real famous example um, is in the movie Jaws. I'm going to give away the, maybe the most famous line if you haven't seen it, so sorry, but if you had like 45 years to watch it, okay? So if you haven't by now, it's not my fault. Um, in the movie Jaws, they think they're going to try to catch a, you know, I guess just a run-of-the-mill, normal, great white shark. And when they get out there, if you remember the famous line, the famous scene, they're throwing the chum in the water and they get their first eyes on it. And he starts to back up into the boat and the famous line is he looks over and he goes, we're going to need a bigger boat. Because they saw what they were after and everything changed. Now, I mean, I don't know if sharks can really do what the shark at that movie does after that, but uh, it's very, you know, it's exciting. But they finally realized it. In the most recent James Bond series that Daniel Craig was in as Bond, um, what you realize as the, as the narratives progress, as the movies progress, there's actually a, uh, we might say, a, a worse bad guy, a worse organization behind everything else. And there's like all these lesser bad guys, then you realize it's been this one thing all along. And you begin to understand who the true enemy is. This is true also like in, like in medical care. Like oftentimes, if you begin to address a symptom, thinking, okay, this medicine will fix the symptom I'm having, but you don't go deeper to understand the underlying condition, well, you will either be ineffective because you're not treating the underlying condition, or you could actually make things worse, not recognize that there's something worse than just the symptoms and it's causing everything else. We understand this. We recognize it. And I think what we're going to get is we're going to get some insight at the very last part of the book, the very last part of the letter that's crucial for us to understand. Look at what Peter says. He says, be alert and sober-minded. Third time he said that in the letter, your enemy, the devil. He's not called anyone an enemy all the way through the letter. Even people that would malign Christians, people that would, uh, would be hostile to Christians, he's never referred to them as enemies. He's never said that. He's reserved that word, that title for here. There's some insight here. The people are never our enemies. People are never our enemies. Made in God's image, they may desperately need Jesus, but they're not our enemies. Peter gives us who the true enemy is. Look at it. Says your enemy, the devil, and all the language is heightened. He prowls, he walks around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Crucial insight from the Apostle Peter. He's going to tell us to resist. You must resist this enemy. So, what does that look like? As we live the way of the exile in our city and our day, what does it look like to resist that enemy? Where we're going, 
this morning. And uh, as we walk through this, here's the story of the sermon as we're going to work through it. It might be helpful first to understand this enemy, but then we got to understand the symptoms that his teeth may be in us. And lastly, what does resistance actually look like? How do we get the cure of the underlying condition? See where we're going? We to understand who the enemy is. How do you know his teeth are in you? And then how do you resist? If you got your Bibles, don't go with me yet to 1 Peter. In fact, I want you to go to the third page of your Bible. Go all the way back to the very beginning. We have to understand this enemy. And to do that, we're going to have to turn to the beginning. Let's look at it. Genesis chapter 3. Now, there's a lot unsaid in this passage. And it's a familiar passage. I would bet that most people in the room at least have heard this story before. But let's look at it again. It might give us some insight here. Now, what's our context? Yahweh, the creator covenant God of Israel, he has created humanity in his image to receive the blessing of his presence and take that out into the rest of the world. That is the vocation. That is the job of human beings. That's why we're here. That's what our job is to do, is to receive the blessing of Yahweh and take it out to the rest of the world. It's a really cool calling. But what we notice is, on page three of our Bible, we have this strange intruder. Now, The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals Yahweh God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, many of us, I think we approach this with modern kind of naturalistic lenses. Uh, I think when reading this, I don't think ancient people are going, oh, it's a snake who's talking. What the heck? What's going on? That's probably not how an ancient person understands this. Now, in ancient Near Eastern imagination, ancient Near Eastern conventions of how they see things, how they understand the world, oftentimes there is the sacred space where the God or the deities dwell. And around that sacred space are oftentimes uh, spirit beings who are there for protection. They're there to guard. They're there for counsel. And sometimes in ancient Near Eastern imagination and conventions, what you'll see is uh, those spirit beings depicted as Sometimes they're serpents, sometimes they look like dragons, sometimes it's lizards. So probably an ancient person seeing this goes, okay, I know what's going on. This is sacred space, and the humans have been invited in, and what we see is one of those spirit beings has gone rogue. But what's the tactic? Look at the tactic. Familiar, I bet, for many, but notice it again. Just look at it. There's two pieces of the tactic. The first is, He casts doubt on the goodness of God. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. He's holding out on you. First piece of the tactic, he casts doubt on the goodness of God. And the second piece of the tactic, it's a brilliant tactic. It works masterfully throughout the scripture. Second piece of the tactic, he suggests self-rule. You can determine right and wrong wisdom Life, meaning, happiness, reach out and take it on your own terms. You don't need anyone else to tell you. Yahweh's holding out on you, and you can be the king of your own life. And by the way, this tactic, it's all over the scripture. Look at Jeremiah. As Jeremiah the prophet is speaking on behalf of Yahweh to the the now failing nation of Israel, they're faltering, he says this. Notice the two things. My people have committed two sins. One, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water. They're, they're missing out that I'm the one who gives them all that they need. They've doubted my goodness. And number two, 
They've, done, they've dug their own cisterns, and they're broken, and they can't hold water. It's all over the pages of the Bible. Now, as Genesis and these pieces of the puzzle come together, notice Genesis did not tell us this is the devil, this is Satan. We just have one of the spirit beings around the sacred space. By the time we get to the last pages of our Bible, all of the pieces of that puzzle are beginning to come together. And notice how Revelation depicts it. It describes a dragon, symbolic language describing, but what does the dragon represent? Well, it's that ancient serpent who's called the devil or Satan. And notice, it, he leads the whole world astray. Revelation imagines that we're caught up in this great cosmic battle and the stakes are high. It is this kind of understanding that Peter is assuming and assuming you will be working with as he says, be alert, Look at the heightened verbs here. Be alert and a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to gulp down or devour. Here's the issue. My bet would be, if you're here this morning and maybe you hadn't been in church in a while, maybe you're a skeptic, maybe you've deconstructed and somebody brought you here and you walked in these rooms, you walked in this room this morning and I'm up here and I'm talking about the devil Satan, spirit beings, and serpents. Probably some of you in the room are going, God, this is why I don't even go to church. Like, this is just like, they really, they still believe all this stuff. And I bet even if you're a Jesus follower in the room, you, you might not go through much of your day-to-day -day life thinking, you know, there's a, the devil's prowling around out there like a roaring lion. He might bolt me up today. We don't usually think much about it. In fact, I think when we do think about something about the devil, something like this comes up. The red pointy guy, kind of the caricature with the trident. Um, the amorphous thing in the Passion of the Christ movie. I still am not quite sure what was going on there. My least favorite basketball team of all of them, besides maybe Kentucky, LSU, Auburn. A&M's getting up there. Oh yeah, Bama now. Oh, Missouri. Don't forget Missouri. I really hate them. Who else could I? But I really hate Duke, okay? And North Carolina. So... We're winning it all this year in all three sports, okay? That's how optimistic I am. But this is how we think. I think oftentimes when, when, you come to the, when you come and hear somebody talking like this and you're a modern person, you go, come on, really? I mean, it's the modern world. We're still talking about this kind of stuff. Now, I, I, I get that. Um, a recent Gallup poll actually uh, said that since the last time they did it, it was double digits and losses of people in our, in our country that no longer believe in this kind of thing, okay? Now, I get that. And if you're here, let me just respond real briefly to that. Let me just give you a response. The Bible, the story of the Bible, it actually presents a robust picture of the brokenness and injustice of our world. It's not afraid to. It can explain and give an account for where evil comes from and what is wrong with our world and what is wrong with us. Like the Bible, the Bible does not shy away. We see it all over the place. In the New Testament, Paul will say, your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers in the heavenly realms. Let me just ask you, skeptic in the room, skeptic. If you've deconstructed, maybe you're struggling with all this whole thing. Let me just ask you, how do you account for the injustice and brokenness and corruption in our world? Like rationally, how do you 
even apply a word like evil when we're nothing but evolved primates on a space rock and one day the earth will be consumed by the sun becoming a red giant? How do you account for the problem of evil? I'm just asking you, apply the same skepticism to your worldview that you're applying to the Christian worldview. If you're here and you're like, I don't know what to do with all this, but man, that's a good, I need to think about that. I'd love to get breakfast. Let's just go talk. The Bible's not afraid. And what the Bible says is very, very jarring, hear it. What the Bible suggests is that there is a great union of two rebel forces, the spirit world and the human world marred by sin have wedded themselves together and that there really is a problem called evil. There really is a thing called sin and it is responsible for the brokenness, the greed, the corruption, the injustice, the racism, the hate, the broken relationships, continue on and on. The Bible's not afraid to go there. How how would you, skeptic in the room, this is what Peter is uploading for you. Your enemy prowls around. Now, if we have to understand the enemy first, how would you know if he's got his teeth in you? Now, hear me. I think it's easy for us to go, okay, okay, the enemy's out there. Yes, of course. And he's prowling around. Yes, of course. What does that look like? How would you know? How would you see it and go, them over there? Look what they do. Look what they believe. Look how they behave. Of course, they're the people. That's where Satan's at work. And struggle to look inwardly. I want you to notice. And what I'm, the reason I'm kind of going at it this way is I want to look at what Peter gives as his correctives, his commands for what it looks like to engage in this battle. I want to look at those commands, but then look at what might be fueling that command. And then I'm gonna, we're going to apply them as symptoms. We're going to do a little diagnostic scan. You ready? I'm not excited about the next eight minutes. Not at all, because it's been wearing me out. All right, let's look at it. Look at, how, look at his commands. We're just going to go with the immediate context. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up and do that. Let's just stop right there. Unbelievable insight. Let me, just, let me pull it out for you. First, we've got to do some grammar work, okay? The first thing we've got to see is um, when he says humble yourself, okay, um, this sounds like an active command, but in the original language, it's actually a passive verb. It's be humbled. Be humbled. Now, what does that look like? Remember, this is a community that's marginalized. This is a community that's experiencing social tension. They're being dishonored by the culture. And he says, be humbled. Notice what he says next. Yes, it's dark. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, you're dishonored. Accept it. Be humbled. And recognize it's not out of control. God is still in control. See, I can imagine the people in these churches in the ancient Roman Empire, as they are experiencing suffering, as the culture looks at them and says, you don't fit, I can imagine the, this thing in them wanting to fight back, to, to defend themselves, to defend their position, to demand their rights. And he says, be humbled, be humbled. You will never see any of that language in Peter. Fight back, take it to the streets. What's the first symptom of our diagnostic scan, you're always looking, you're always fighting for your position, demanding your rights. 
fighting. Peter would say, be humbled. Hey, God's still in control. Second piece, look at it. I told you, I'm not excited. Second piece. It says, be humbled. Now, here's how the grammar works, okay? I'm, I'm giving you the clausal breakdown. The top line is our independent clause. Be humbled under the mighty hand of God. Then we have three dependent clauses. Uh, the first one, that he may exalt you, gives the purpose of the command at the top line. Then verse seven, casting all your anxiety. Now, the NASB is getting this correct. Um, it sounds like in the NIV, a new sentence with a new command, cast your anxiety. So now we have two commands. Be humbled and cast your anxieties. But actually, this is a dependent clause. It is explaining what it looks like or explaining the means by which you are able to be humbled. How are you able to be humbled? By casting all your anxieties on him. Then it gives a, uh, a reason or a because, because you know he cares for you. See how the grammar works? Be humbled, casting your anxieties on him. Now, the word anxiety. I think that for some, I know, I know my audience. Like I know that it's the uh, 21st century and uh, anxiety is like uh, all over the place now. Maybe some of you even just seeing the word anxiety, you could feel a little bit of anxiety. Like I bet some of you have that. I Googled this past week and screenshot on my computer. Uh, help me with anxiety. Notice the results. 1.3 billion results for that. It's been stated that we are maybe the most anxious people in the history of the world. I don't know how you'd measure something like that, but that is very hard to square with the fact that many in the Western culture have more material goods than most people have had in the rest of the human world, yet the most anxious. Now, I recognize there's a such a thing as anxiety disorder. We have people in our family that struggle with it. I know there's such a thing as mental health uh, struggle. I get that, okay? But I think for many of us, we need to let Jesus speak to us this morning about this, okay? I'm gonna take you to Jesus. You don't have to turn there, but let me just show you what Jesus says. Jesus is, has masterful insight for you and for me on how we cast our anxieties on him. Notice it. This is in Mark chapter four. The context is he's, he's told a parable about four kinds of seeds and they fall into four kinds of soils. Then he unpacks it for his audience. Now we can understand what he meant. He says the third, the third seed that falls in the third kind of soil, it's a thorny soil. And he describes, he interprets it for us this way. Those are like, those are people. And the seed is sown among them. It's the word, they hear the word, but the worries, same Greek word that, uh, that we have in, in 1 Peter. Merimna is the Greek word, the worries of this life. Now, the NIV is translating it in one place, casting your anxieties, and here they're translating it as worries. And I think this can be a, a helpful differentiator for us. Two English words, same Greek word. Let's go with the two English words. Let me help you to maybe distinguish between anxiety and worry. Anxiety is an emotional gauge that heightens your senses to an impending danger, okay? That's what anxiety does. It's an emotion that heightens you, does it as an impending danger. Like when my kids are playing in the front yard and a car comes down the street at high speed, I have an emotional trigger. There's danger. And if I did not have that emotional trigger, you'd be like, well, he's the most unloving father on the earth. What's wrong with that guy? 
In that sense, it's a good thing. We need it. But what is worry then? Worry is an overindulgence on the hypotheticals, an overindulgence on potentialities. Well, what if they don't respond this way? What if this happens over here? What if they didn't like my presentation? What if I don't get this? What if, see how that works? And it's an overindulgence on things that have not even happened yet. Here's where I think Jesus is masterful. These words are nearly 2,000 years old and yet could not be more relevant. Notice what he says. The merimnah, the worries of this life, they begin when we forget the life, the, 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 the life that we aim for is one where our desires are oriented to another, another reality. Our eyes get down on this life. Now notice what he says. The deceitfulness of wealth. I think this actually gives crucial insight into why we might be one of the wealthiest peoples of all time and yet the most anxious. Jesus nailed it. See, the deceitfulness of wealth, telling us that that next thing, that next purchase, that next promotion, that next fill in the blank will finally give us the significance that we want, will finally make, help us know that we made it, will just finally give us some security. And by the way, our consumeristic culture is banking on it in you and me. Uh, Carl Truman wrote this book a couple of years ago, and I just read it uh, about, about six weeks ago, and man, it was really good. And here's one of the things he said. He said, the negotiation between product and consumer is ultimately predicated on the fact that the desire for consumption never seems to be met by the act of possession. They've got us. Like fish to a hook, like fish to the bait, we just keep coming back. The consumer society really does present persons whose being is in their becoming, constantly looking to that next thing that will bring about that elusive personal wholeness. It's deceitfulness of wealth. Fools us in the chasing the wrong things, and they're actually, they actually come with an explicit expiration date that we keep going back. Look at Jesus keeps going, though. He says, and the desires for other things. Uh, this is a word we talk about regularly. The epithumia is the word here, over-desires. In our culture now, especially if you're my age or down, you have been told that the, the meaning of life comes from within, that you find your true self, that you discover who that is, and then you live it out to its potential, no matter what anybody says. In fact, for anyone to say otherwise, they are now in a position of evil. And the desire for personal discovery, to understand who you are. It's a fine thing. You build your identity on it. Can you see the pressure? You see where your anxiety is coming from? The pressure that that is on you. The over-desires for all sorts of things. Something that, that's good that we elevate to supreme. It chokes the word, Jesus says. Second piece of our diagnostic scan. You're worried, constantly anxious. If you're here and you have, you're just flooded with anxiety regularly, it might be a symptom that the teeth are in. Third, it says be alert and of sober mind. The NRSV translates this word alert as uh, discipline yourself. It's not just kind of look around, and, okay, we're good. A soldier that's expecting danger has to be alert. They've trained for it. They know what to spot. Just resist. These are action words. 
You can't just fall over into it. It must be disciplined. Paul in Ephesians 6, he says, put on your armor. You have to know how to wield it. You have to be trained in it. Our third diagnostic scan is this. You've not disciplined any spiritual toughness. The first sign of discomfort, the first sign of displeasure, the first difficulty, you bail. Keeps going, number four. He tells us, stand firm because you know that the family of believers throughout the whole world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So don't, you know, don't be surprised. This is what all Jesus followers experience. So what's the diagnostic? What's the symptom that might be in us? We are always feeling like we're the only one. Nobody understands what I go through. We're always looking inward. Two more. The fifth one. It says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory after you've suffered a little while, look at these. These are few, he switches to future tense verbs. Will restore you, will make you strong, will make you firm, will make you steadfast. Don't you see it? The promise of Jesus. Keep your eyes there. What's our fifth piece of the diagnostic scan? Your eyes are off Jesus. And you've forgotten his promises. You don't think about him throughout the day. You don't cultivate him in your mind, in your heart. Last one, he ends by singing. Peter knows that we all worship something. The object of your worship will determine your destiny. He's, in his, throughout the whole letter, he keeps going back to Jesus and praising Jesus. Look what he's doing. Because he knows if you don't, your worship of Jesus will become secondary or third or fourth or fifth. And it's gonna grow stale. Diagnostic scan piece number six. Your praise has gone stale, not just in here, but what you speak about, what you celebrate. Jesus is way down the list, if he's there at all. How do you know his teeth are in you? Well, look at the list. Can you see how these also work together? You're always fighting for your position to make something of yourself, to get yours, so you are constantly anxious. Your desires are inflated in the wrong place. There's no time to develop any kind of spiritual grit. You always then feel like, man, nobody gets what I have to go through, the weight I carry. Your eyes are nowhere on Jesus, and then your praise has gone cold. See how they go together? Now, I told you, I didn't like the next eight minutes. I've been, I've been struggling myself. As I've been prepping this, I've been going, are his teeth in me? And I've been looking at that list going, man, that, each one of those, I don't give myself an A on any of them. So I'm with you. What does it look like to resist then? What's the cure? It's kind of been bleak so far. What's the cure? Notice it. He says, be alert and have a sober mind. These are action verbs. These are commands. Get ready be on a high alert, look alive, keep your eyes up, know that you're in a battle. And then he says, resist him. It's a command, resist that enemy. Question is this, how? How? Here's the last thing that I'd want. The last thing I'd want this morning is that you see that word resist. And you go, I know what that looks like. I'm gonna get out there and I can do that. I'm gonna, I'll resist him. You're right, God, okay, I wouldn't give myself an A on all those things either. I'm gonna try harder. I'm gonna be a better Christian. Watch me, I'm gonna go out there and do it. Some of you will last longer than others. You more type A's may build it into your schedule some. Some of you have a little bit more intestinal fortitude than others. Some of you, you've tried that and you 
found yourself falling on your face over and over and over again. See, we have to understand that our strength and our poise, notice where Peter places it, it doesn't come from us. If that's what you think, go back to number one and work through the list again. It doesn't come from us. How do we stand firm? Resist him, then a verb that begins to describe it, a clause. Standing firm in what? The faith. Not standing firm in your resume or standing firm in your quiet time or standing firm in, look, my kids do it all right. Not standing firm in, I'm going to church even. Standing firm in the faith. Now, that can sound abstract. The faith does not mean, well, yeah, I've agreed to some creeds and some ideas about God and Jesus. That's the faith. How would that help? Yeah, I, okay, I, yeah, I agree with those things. No, 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 that's not what that means at all. Standing firm in the faith. Faith is about your devotion, your allegiance, your loyalty. I might say it this way. You stand firm by bending your knee again every day to Jesus as king. You stand firm by recognizing, I ain't got nothing when I try to stand out here on the line. So I fall on my knees before the king. Look at the confidence Peter has as he concludes this section. There's no wavering in his voice. He says, and the God of all grace. Oh, by the way, he's the one who called you to eternal glory in Jesus. Yes, you may suffer. Future tense of verbs, he will restore you. He will make you strong. He will make you firm. He will make you steadfast. Where does your strength come from? Not here, but in him. You see it. Paul, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Paul and Peter know something. Yes, we're in a battle. Yes, it may be fierce. Yes, it may be raging all around us. Yes, the devil's teeth may be in you. But Paul and Peter know something. It's what gives them their confidence. They know that the battle is already won. The victory is already at hand. The game's over, and it was a blowout. Look at what Paul says. Yes, while you were dead, in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, notice the actor of the verbs. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave. He canceled. He nailed it to the cross. The cross, an instrument to display the victory of Rome and humiliate the loser. Is that what happened? My favorite verse in the Bible, look at verse 15. There on a cross, he disarmed the powers and authorities. He stripped them of their power. He embarrassed them publicly. He made a spectacle of them and he triumphed over them by the cross. The cross. Where does our strength come from? From him, not in here. Here's how we close. We start off with movies. We're going to end with movies. Uh, if you notice, in a lot of like big, great military, you know, kind of war movies or, uh, you know, epics like The Lord of the Ring, there's often a moment on the battlefield where all hope seems lost. And the soldiers are usually in a line and they're scared and they don't know where to turn and you can see they're ready to run. And the hero steps forward in this moment in these movies. And the hero steps forward, and he usually gives a speech. It's the, it's the, you know, the, the music begins to thunder around them. And the, the scared soldiers go from quivering 
to charging. And they run in. You know why I think that is so powerful to watch and why it is effective for the soldier's perspective? I think they go, yes, it's dark, and yes, it's bleak, but we have him. And if we got him, we can win this thing. Peter knows something. Paul knows something. The battle's already won. Victory is assured. The game's over, and it wasn't even close. On a cross, he's won. Fellowship Fayetteville, as we go out as exiles to our world, to our city and our day, we have him. We have him. I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna stand, and we're gonna sing that. Are you with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we put our eyes on you, squarely on you, off of us and on you. The battle has been decided. It was, it was dealt with on the cross. Sin defeated, death embarrassed. The devil rendered impotent. There's where our courage stems from. There's where our poise stems from. So we fix our eyes on you as we sing these words, Jesus. We pray this in your name as our King. Amen. Would you all stand with us? Let's sing.
Continue to encourage each other as we sing this song over one another. Press on, press on, we're safe in His arms. When troubles and trials come our way, seek peace, show grace, and hold fast to.
The prayer room is available through the doors on your right. If you would like to pray with someone, if you would like to take communion, it's available on there as well. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week, church. Oh